0: Okay, now. Virtue, yeah, virtue signaling is something that you will, see, you will see a lot once you learn what it is. It means the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. Uh, You usually find this within the context of some social group that so this shows that you are Part of the group that you were trying to be a part of or that you are expressing some kind of sentiment some kind of position that says I belong to this group this you know I I fit the parameters of this tribe It was coined by a man named James Bartholomew in The Spectator in 2015. And one of the things that he said is one of the crucial aspects of virtue signaling is that it does not require actually doing anything virtuous. It does not involve an, oh my goodness, that's two typos and three screens, um, delivering lunches to elderly neighbors or staying together with a spouse for the sake of the children. Three typos. It takes no effort or sacrifice at all. We see an example of virtue signaling in Luke 18, verses nine through 14. If somebody would like to look that up and read it to us, it will be a very familiar story and you will go, oh, that's what it is. So if somebody has that and wants to read it. Go.
1: at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble
0: themselves will be exalted. Okay, so the Pharisee, I I guess this is probably the best example that we get in the Bible of virtue signaling is the Pharisee I mean and there's more going on with the Pharisee than just that but but the reason that nobody likes the Pharisee in that story is because he gets up and is trying to show God and the people around him that how good he is without actually doing anything good also looks like this And it looks like this now these are two sides of a very heated issue right now my point is not that either side is right or wrong because I think we would all agree that it is perfectly it is a perfectly reasonable response to be horrified by the events in Florida this week. It is a perfectly suitable response to pray regarding the events in Florida this week. It is perfectly reasonable to want to have gun violence curbed. It is perfectly reasonable to introduce legislation to try to affect the changes that you want to see in society. The problem is neither of these things Actually, do that all they do is show is is to try to help these people to show that they are on the virtuous side of the issue that they want to be on and it's 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 a and it's a little bit it's a little bit different with with both of these people because I think I believe I believe both of them are um, representatives I believe I think one is a Democrat one is a Republican um, and they're kind of, part of their job is to show people the stances that they take. So they're, they're, they're kind of stuck with having to do this sort of thing. But when we do it and don't do, and there's, there's no action that you see along with that, what good does that do? And I think in the wake of the shootings this week, there, any time that there's a tragedy, any time that there's a major event, you will see people jumping on to social media and staking out their position in a way that does absolutely nothing except to show that they're on what they think is the right side. So why do we do that? There are a couple of there are a couple of problems with virtue signaling. So if somebody will take Matthew six, one and somebody will take James two, fourteen through sixteen. Does anybody have Matthew? Okay.
2: Make certain you do not perform your religious duties in public so that people will see what you do. You do these things publicly you will not have any reward
0: from your Father in heaven. Okay. So one of one of the things that the Bible says basically boils down to if, if you're showing how good you are on social media, if you're showing the good works that you do on social media, that's all you get. You get that little rush of dopamine from telling everybody how good you are and then the good that you do just... Evaporates. It's gone. There's nothing. There's nothing more permanent. There's nothing more eternal. You did it. You showed everybody. That's it. That's all the good. That's all the good that it does. It's done. Um, who's got James? Okay.
3: clothed in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup, where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense?
0: And that's the other side of it, is that thoughts and prayers or being outraged to show that you are outraged about something, it's the new be warmed and filled. And if you're not, if you are not warming and filling people, or, or if the perception that you get is that you are somebody that is talking the game, but you can't be seen living the game, then it looks like an empty prime. No, no matter how much you're actually doing, if you're showing your stance publicly, And those people are not seeing, if you're you're showing your stance publicly, but you're doing your good privately, as good as it is to do the good privately, there's this disconnect that people aren't gonna, that people aren't gonna see. Because there are, there may be hundreds of people, there may be thousands of people that see what you do on social media, or see what you say on social media, that have no way to see how you actually live out your life as well.
4: I've got maybe something that might be an example of um, on non-social media life. Like back in the day, I I used to remember a lot of people telling us to, uh, or suggesting that you might evangelize by going into a restaurant and over your meal praying loudly enough that other people are kind of a little bit bothered by it, right? Like, um, and then they will know that you're a Christian in the public square, right? Um, and I think that's that's almost exactly what Jesus says not to do in some of the passages right. you mentioned. He talks about like carrying a trumpet with you as you're doing your religious deeds, or you know, people praying loudly at the corners and stuff like that. Um, and and part of the problem is that it's it's very much proclaiming your your stance on something. I'm I'm part of this, you know, and and other other Christians are impressed that you're so bold as to do this, but the people that are actually hearing you are not being helped by that. Right? right? You're not actually evangelizing them. You're just kind of like showing off or something. And I think that's what happens with a lot of this kind of social talk where we call out another party for failing to do what we think they ought to do. We're not actually trying to convince them. We're not right. actually doing anything to to convince them or to build bridges or to move people in our direction, we're just battling down like on this position and saying, I'm here and I'm good of
0: it." Yeah, exactly. And th- that made me think of one of my favorite uh, statements that I've read, and, and, and again, because I'm just thinking of this, I, I did not have a chance to, to track it down. I would love to be able to source this for you. Um, but I read, read an author several months ago that said that the value of a religion is judged by the benefit it has for the people who do not believe in it. And so when, when we're showing, if, if I'm showing something on social media to show that I belong to a particular group, that may do wonders for the group does very little for the people who are not part of the group.
4: Well, and I think that's a core biblical idea. That if you think about the Abrahamic calling, right? The the call of Abraham. He's part of this world of tribes, and God calls him to form a tribe that is not just going to be blessed inside itself, but is going to bless all nations, right? Right. And that's the that's the mission. So. Uh, you know Paul references that as part of the core of the gospel in the New Testament how are we blessing those who are not part of our tribe rather than just how are we kind of delineating the tribe that we're part of
0: yeah. so this is what it looks like to the rest of the world when when we do the thoughts and prayers thing I saw this one is um, a check made out to um, a U.S. representative for the amount of thoughts and prayers. Says, since you and your colleagues in Congress seem to feel that this is the solution to mass murder, please accept this contribution. <laughs> Signed, Fern Melilla. Uh, this is from a friend of mine who's an author and an atheist and so we are constantly going back and forth uh, from our different perspectives. Uh, thoughts and prayers accomplish nothing a little bit more pointed. Um, and, and this actually is the sort of thing that distresses me more because when, when we do the, when we say things like our thoughts and prayers are with you but there's not the corresponding action, it makes our God look bad and ineffective. If thoughts and prayers are all you have to offer, I got news for you, your God isn't listening. That's one of the nicer things that I saw said about God this week on social media, because of the way that Christians respond. And then from somebody that most of you may have heard of, at least if you like Avengers movies, um, prayer. and and this I think is beautiful, prayers without accordant action are silent lies told to oneself, heard by no God, amounting to nothing. Action is the language of truth, the prayers of the saints. So what can we do instead? First thing that I would say is just to stay silent. Because saying some of the things that we say to show that we care, I don't know that they accomplish anything other than to try to make us look good. But as we've seen, it ends up actually making us look bad. when, when Facebook is blowing up with stuff like this, when our voices, in many cases, are not going to be missed if we're not contributing something to the conversation other than just our assent. We can focus on others rather than ourselves. Um, an example of this would be. Rather than saying how we feel about something, sharing uh, maybe a story like the story of Aaron Feist. Does anybody, Does do you know who Aaron Feist is? He was the coach
3: who basically sacrificed his life in the Florida shooting yeah. school. He stood in front of students and basically
0: took all the bullets that were in them. And he died in the process. And so if if we're sharing a story about somebody else that's sharing sharing a story about Aaron Feist this week would have been focusing on the good works of somebody else rather than the good position of ourselves it would it would show where we stood with on an issue but it would be taking the focus off of us and I think one of the one of the key things that I would like for us to get out of this class is learning how to take the focus off of ourselves on social media. Um, combining any statement of virtue with a corresponding action. If you're, if you've got to tell people that you you were thinking of them and praying on them for them in a situation like this, combine it with what you were doing to be the answer to the prayer. For example. Um, I heard somebody suggest calling the funeral homes in Parkland, Florida, because they're going to be really busy this week and there are going to be a lot of people who are having to pay for funerals that they were not planning for. So saying our thoughts and prayers are with the people of Parkland, Florida. Please join me in donating to this funeral home to help defray the expenses of the families that's it's a small thing. It doesn't necessarily go directly to the, the big issue that everybody's talking about, but it is a way of saying, I'm praying, but I'm also looking for ways to be an answer to the prayer. Um, and then one other thing, because I think this is, this is a distinction that it took me a while to learn, um, is to respond to the people that are asking for prayers or that are seeking a response, rather than just showing up and saying, I'm praying, you'll see a lot of times, if you scroll through your Facebook feed, you will see people asking for prayers. People saying, pray for me, my you know, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about this issue, it may, it may be a family tragedy, it may be an illness, a crisis, a job search, whatever, but they will actively ask for prayers, and I think in a situation like that, it's perfectly legitimate to say, yes, I'm praying for you, to to engage with them, to to give them the response that they're looking for. Because then you've got somebody that's looking for that. And knowing that they have friends throughout the country, throughout the world that are praying for them, that's a helpful thing. That's, That's an action in a way that just saying, I'm praying about this issue for strangers, for people that I don't know, and just volunteering that information just is not.
4: One thing I love about your the the corresponding action thing is that your example of uh, looking to the funeral homes right is is explicitly taking like broadening the focus Mm -hmm. right it's not just the snippet of it that's that's reported and talked about and argued over it's that there this tragedy actually is this big big thing right and to really engage it not just as a like bullet point political issue but as a real thing that happens to a lot of people and has these all these ramifications shows that kind of deep concern that is not really shown when you're just like oh i'm sorry sorry for your you know yeah. tragedy or whatever so I think that's a that can be a really positive thing to to highlight i I think that can
0: really change the way we think about a lot of of it so can anybody else think of other ways that you could do these things not again not necessarily for parkland but just in general um does anybody have any thoughts any other suggestions things that we may have missed in coming up with this list George,
2: this is something that occurs to me on the stay silent is I mean, I, I'm a, I avoid conflict at all costs in all areas of my life, especially on Facebook. But um, but at the same time, I've been influenced by people who for, I have friends on both sides of like this issue, right. of gun control and things like that. And and it's not um, I don't know. I I just see the other side of saying maybe there's a place to state your position especially if, like on gun control, where if there's going to be legislation, we, we might have some influence on that. Um, so is there is there a place for <laughs> not staying silent? If, if you really believe that this is a, an important issue? And maybe you get sick of just sitting back and not saying anything. And like, this is this is the last straw, I'm going to say something. Yeah,
3: well, I, I think to, to
2: your point, it kind of combines, but it
3: goes to point number three is where you can say something, but if you want to, for example, try to affect the change of of gun control, you can say, I'm outraged that my congressman isn't doing whatever. I am calling him. Here is his phone number. Please join me in calling and voicing your concern. So Mm -hmm. at least then you're taking an action. You're not just expressing outrage. You're following it with an action. So it's not just making a blanket statement, but there is a there's a corresponding
0: action that you can apply. Yeah. Could be something to do on that side of the issue. Yeah, and and, and I would not say, and, and I'm not saying that that staying silent is always the option, but staying silent is often an option that, that people you? should think of on <laughs> Facebook more than they actually do, um, and and it and it is it is very it's very difficult on heated topics to have meaningful conversations on Facebook um, or even worse on Twitter or Reddit or (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and rather than rather than being just another voice if it's kind of one of those things it, 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 it 's very sim the, the way I think the way we feel about these things on Facebook is very similar to the way that we feel when um, somebody gets diagnosed with cancer or somebody loses a family member and you just don 't know what to say and sometimes sometimes staying silent is an option there um as opposed to going to them and saying, "God has a plan for this," um, and thoughts and prayers is kind of the new God had a purpose for taking your baby. Um, so I, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it, it really, it really, I mean, that's that's how that's how non Christians hear that now. Non Christians hear that the same as well. He's you know, your your son is in a better place right now, which we would never dream of. Going to somebody that experienced that tragedy this week and saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, 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 there are ways to speak up, um, but this is, this is one that we should maybe consider more. To
3: me, I'm looking at it saying, Stein is <laughs> a way of first do no harm. Right. Attacking your faith, right? You know, like they go back
0: and forth, and it's like, eh, this is not, I don't know. Yeah, well, and, and I would say, especially if, if somebody is attacking your faith, um, one of the things that I've learned, I was, I was having a conversation with somebody about this just last night. Um, it is almost never a good idea to respond to somebody. To, to respond to an accusation directly on social media there's almost no way for that to work. you really have to, to to have good conversations to have meaningful conversations on a place like Facebook you've got to learn how to deflect and talk around and kind of kind of dance around the the elephant in the room um, but if you if you try to if you try to go back directly at somebody that's coming directly at you, there's, there's no way to win the argument because everybody just entrenches.
4: Well, it, it, and so what you're talking about is take, taking yourself out of it. Right. Right? So if somebody comes at you and it accuses you of something, um, the responsible, I'm really pr- a good person, and like trying to defend yourself, um, there, that's, a, that's an endless pit, like you'll never come out of that. right? But if you, if you make it about the thing that they're feeling and trying to address the issues that are being brought up, then you can actually exit that and leave your ego, you know, at the door.
5: Basically. Right,
0: William. Uh,
5: last week, uh, one of my friends on Instagram um, put up this meaningless post, and he doesn't believe this at all, but it basically is, uh, you know, uh, uh, what kind of man, name the kind of man that, that has one woman that is excited. And I, of course, trying to be an idiot, put up a board man, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Jerry, I don't really believe that, this is just so silly. So one of my other friends from college um, put up this long scathing email, uh, publicly uh, uh, attacking me. So, <laughs> and if people know, I, so I'm getting all these invites. then yeah, you gonna respond, you could respond, and people know from college, why? Um, I, I was very outspoken of I was active and 90% of the time the <laughs> bigger things are going through my head but one of the things that I've learned about social media the first body the best way to do it is let that be it yep. because if, if I had responded uh, we engage in a series of it, it would become a term. Yeah. you know what I mean so I think it's a, not a, a good thing at all uh, I think it's a it, it, it's, it's just better. And about serious issues, I think it needs to be very trite, to be honest. Uh, because about serious issues of Facebook, especially like mass killings, LBGT, race issues, the longer you go with these diatribes and these monologues, you're going to offend somebody. Because the, the, the vulnerability with Facebook is you can't get tone, you can't get pauses, and it's just words, and it can be read as very offensive. Yeah. I have
1: something Corporate America, you know, we send emails constantly, and the, the the issue of tone being misrepresented and misheard, I'm constantly telling people I work with, just pick up the phone. If you ever have a question, about it, just pick up the phone. And when it comes to this, um, you know, with, with that particular insult or whatever, when someone feels hurt, the thing that I have <coughs> found that is the most effective for me is to just reach out to the one person and not do it on these public walls. Yeah. Reaching out to one person and saying, help me understand. Where, how you feel right now. Right. And a couple of years ago when I reached out to a friend and we had very different sides, very different backgrounds us, and just come up with me to lunch and just help me understand. And that started a year long dialogue between the two of us that helped me to really feel like I have some things that I'm holding on to that are, that are hurtful to other people. I and mean, I, I didn't even really realize that. And so when I, if I would ever have posted some of the things that I was feeling online on Yeah.
0: So let's look a little bit at the psychology of social media and how all of this works. So one of the things that places like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are based on is that little hit of dopamine that you get when you post something or when somebody likes it or somebody comments on it or shares it. And researchers used to think that dopamine was like a pleasure inducing chemical. But what they found is that it's actually the sensation of want. And so you get get that enjoyment when, when somebody reacts to your post, but you also get it just simply imagining that they might or wanting them too. And that's why you end up looking at your phone after you post something on Twitter, going, "Has anybody commented yet?" Oh, let's check again. It's two minutes later. Let's see if anybody's commented now, because because that's the that's the dopamine rush that you are getting every time you do that. It makes us. It's it's like a Pavlovian response. It makes us want to return and do it again and again and again. And that's one of the, uh, I, I think Sean Parker, who was the first president or CEO of Facebook, I can't remember, yeah. but he was one of the early investors in Facebook, uh, made some news back uh, late last year because he said, we exploited this vulnerability in human psychology to make this work. Um, he's called, and he also called it a social validation feedback loop. So the more validation you get, the more you want more of that validation, and so the more you go back and you go back and you go back. There's another chemical involved in all of this too called oxytocin. It is the cuddle chemical, because it's the uh, chemical that's released when you kiss somebody or when you hug somebody. And studies have found that even 10 minutes of good social media time, as opposed to the bad social media time that depresses you, but the the good social media time can raise your oxytocin levels significantly. There was a, this study is a little old, I would be curious to see this done again, but a peer research study back in 2011 said that, um, well, I'll, I'll back up because one of the other things that oxytocin does is it makes you feel more generous, more goodwill toward people, more trusting of them. And this 2011 study said that repeat Facebook visitors, people like me that go there, time after time after time again during a day, are 43% more likely than other internet users to believe that most people can be trusted, and more than three times more likely to believe that than people who don't use the internet at all. I don't know how many of those people are left, but, um, and this has probably changed a little bit, uh in the especially in the last couple of years as people have begun to realize just how much fake information there is on social media but it it, it again puts you in this weird feedback loop because even though you know that you're getting disinformation on a regular basis on facebook the natural inclination is to go, oh, this is right. We talked about this last week because we had the the algorithm meme that everybody was sharing that was saying you're only seeing 26 people in your Facebook feed now because of this new algorithm. And people read that and they wanted to believe it. They felt like it could be trusted and all of a sudden everybody's sharing it. Um, That's that's what's going on. And so it it makes it very hard because you, you, you wanna believe the things that your friends are telling you, you wanna believe the news that you're seeing is real. Um, if something plays to your personal belief system, you wanna believe that that's real, but even when, you know, even when you know it isn't, you're likely, there's still a part of you going, oh, they, they, they can be trusted. And, and part of that is just being in that environment. conversational analysts estimate that 30 to 40% of human speech consists of people talking about themselves. But there's at least one estimate that if, when you go on Facebook, that percentage increases to 80%. And the reason for, I mean, the reason for that's pretty obvious. If I'm talking to Micah, and I'm going on and on and on, eventually at some point, no matter how self-absorbed I am, and my wife will tell you that I can be pretty self-absorbed I'm eventually one of two things is going to happen either I'm going to go I should let Micah talk for a little bit or Mike is going to have enough of hearing of me and he's going to say something and then I will be quiet at least for a little while to let him talk so theoretically at least 50 50 is going to be in a conversation is going to be about each of us but but Micah Micah goes away when I'm on social media when I'm social when I'm on social media even if I'm thinking of other people there's nobody else there I'm essentially talking to myself if I'm talking to myself who am I gonna be talking about I'm gonna be talking about me and so when we go on social media the natural inclination is to say What's going on with us, what we're thinking, what we believe, it is, it's seen, I mean, and it was billed as a medium of self-expression. This is where you can talk about who you are and what you do and what you like. And so we go from talking about ourselves 30% of the time to talking about 80%, talking about ourselves 80% of the time. And that's one of social media's first big traps. Because what makes us feel bad when we're on social media, it's when we make it all about ourselves. If we are, what what the studies have shown is that if we go on and we're scrolling through Instagram and scrolling through Instagram, and we're just looking at everybody's great pictures of their vacations and their legs and their sunsets and you know what what you know and their food, we you know we just we see all of that. We're not doing anything except just looking at all this great time everybody else has had and we end up feeling worse than we did when we started. um, If all we're doing is scrolling or reading or clicking on links, we feel worse. And one of the reasons that we feel worse is because we are thinking about ourselves and we are seeing everybody else at their best while we know the worst about ourselves. So this is, And this is, this is a two-pronged thing because we've got to see ourselves on both sides of this because we have to recognize that when we are looking at what all the great things that everybody else is doing and all the fun that they're having and all the things that we are missing out on, we have to recognize that, that we're looking at a very carefully curated version of them and we know everything about us. And so we've got to look at that, but we also have to remember when we are the people posting the vacations and the food shots and the puppies and our, you know how great our kids did and all the fun that we're having, that other people are looking at us, and if all we're showing them is this perfect front, then we're, we're setting them up to feel as bad about themselves as we feel when somebody else is having more fun than we are. One of the other dangers of um, just talking about ourselves on social media is that we feel like we have to be, or at least present ourselves to be, perfect. Which is something that churches have dealt with forever. I mean, you've, you've all been in conversations about people coming to church and having to look perfect and having to act perfect and as bad as it can be at church it's way worse on Facebook Were you I was going to say speaking of that so uh, one of the
5: reasons that I put uh, my daughter on Facebook is to preserve it for prosperity prosperity. so recently Carrie did this program in school she got to pretend to be a doctor Uh, she really misbehaved on one of the videos but was perfect on the other two and it was just fantastic right so I was in a store and a guy walked up to me whose life I've always looked at him like, man, he's the man. God, I wish I had his life. And, and he, he's a businessman now. And uh, he, he travels the world. He does all these incredible things. And I'm still like, man, you the man. And he walked into me and he said, Jake, can I tell you something, man? God, I would kill you. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting punked to you, right? Because he's the man, you know. And he doesn't have any trouble. Yeah. And he said, he said, man, I saw the thing you put up about a car. And normally I would say, Oh, how was your trip to Aruba though? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and when I I, when he walked away, I was like, wow, this is really amazing. Because from outside looking in, if you look at just something simple like a carry clown and a misbehaving at the school thing, for him that was really important. Whereas with me, I'm looking at this guy meeting all these people, he's going all over the world, he's showing off his cars. I'm like, man, that's that's everything. So when I look at his situation, I'm like, man, I feel so inadequate. But when he looks at the things that I'm doing with my daughter, he feels inadequate. So I think it's really all that matter to
0: Yeah. Exactly. I
2: wonder, um, I mean, it's very important, I think, for us to realize that, are we not to a place where everybody knows this now? I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just talking about myself, but <laughs> we? we, you know, we went to Italy last fall for the whole semester, and every weekend we traveled, and I put all the pictures on yeah. Facebook, and I had friends say, well, I had to quit looking at your Facebook, because you have <laughs> <laughs> But I knew that I took that picture right after, you know my wife and I had been in a big fight, because I like, us 20 minutes out of the way, because I didn't read the map right or whatever, and I didn't follow it. I mean, there's all these fights that happen that don't show up on the Facebook right. feed. But I know that, Right. and so when I'm putting it on Facebook, I. Seeing all the backstory of how we got there and everything. Yeah. Uh, and so I always I tell myself that, and I've had experiences where, especially, and this may just be me, but there's couples that I know who I know their marriage is struggling, and I see on Facebook, like on the anniversary, a really long how great their spouse is, and then they get divorced a month later, and I'm like, I know that a lot of these Facebook posts aren't real. Yeah. So I don't, are we to a place well, where we kind of
5: know that?
0: Well, we, we know it and we don't know it. Yeah. yeah.
4: The, the, this is a thing with, like, you know, you think about magazines and whatever. Everybody knows that money and fame and, like, all this stuff doesn't make you happy, right? Um, and But we still buy the things yeah. that, that look like yeah. that, right? Like, it still works in advertising. And everybody knows that the covers of magazines are, are you know, Photoshopped. But,
0: but they still want the thigh gap.
4: Yeah, it still yeah it's still ha- changes how we think about it and how we feel, even though we know it's not really accurate. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just give it a shot.
0: Yeah. Well, and yeah, I, I mean, and honestly, as great as the pictures of Italy are, pictures of Italy are a lot better if you've got the story about the fight beforehand. Mm-hmm. They just are. They're, you've got to talk to your wife about that, but it's, it's, way, more, it's, 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 it's way more interesting for the rest of us. Yes, Someone absolutely. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what makes us feel good on social media? The thing, the thing that makes us feel good if we've spent the last half hour or, or hour on Facebook is if we've been actively interacting with people. Uh, There was a recent Carnegie Mellon University study that showed that people who send and receive messages or make comments or get comments reported improvements in their social support networks in their feelings about depression and loneliness. There was an experiment at Cornell University uh, not too long ago also that showed self-affirmation boosts for people who just spent five minutes looking at their own Facebook fees, things that they had posted, um, reflecting on... Their past meaningful re- interactions and how they present themselves to the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, that, which is that—that's exactly why Facebook has that "On This Day" thing, so you can go back and accept in those situations where there's an anniversary you would just as soon forget. You go back at those and you go, ah, and then you feel good, and that's—that's that's why they're at the top of the feed when you sign on about the second time every morning. Um, why we share. We share to give people a better sense of who we are, saying, this matters to me. Uh, To connect with other people, it's like, all right, here's something that I found interesting, see what you think about this, let's discuss this. Um, We feel better about ourselves when people respond to something we share, that goes back to that dopamine hit. Um, And I I, I love this, this is from uh, what I understand is a fairly obscure uh, paper from the 70s that got Uh, picked up by a social media guru and repurposed. Uh, Interesting things are an attack on the taken-for-granted world of their audience. In other words, they contradict something that we assume or that we think in, in some way, big or small, and that's why they're interesting to us because they show us that the world is a little bit bigger than we thought it was. And so that makes it fun to share and get everybody else involved with it. Um, so it, we're beginning to run short on time, but it boils down to the more we focus on ourselves on social media, whether that's telling people about ourselves or just posting about, our, and making all the conversations about ourselves, the worse off we are. The more we focus on other people, the happier we are. The default mode for social media is self-expression and that visceral emotional reaction that you get when you see something. But we've got to be more creative and more intentional than that. I'm going to show you a few examples of feeds that I love. This is from one of uh, Nancy's nieces who has been um, basically using Facebook as a diary of the conversations that she has with her two young children. And so this way, as, as they get older, she's got a record of all of these crazy things that three-year-olds and four-year-olds say like, Nell, what do you think we should do for dinner? "Um, Waffles? Do you really think we should have waffles for dinner? Taking my face in her hand, trust me mom, waffles is the right choice. You cannot go wrong with waffles. (laughs) Leaving the church building last night, Nell heard me and Nathan discussing the fastest route. Nell, where are we going now? Me, to Mrs. Celine's house. Do you know how to get there? Yes. You go closer to our house and get farther away from the church building, just like how Ella and Eli live farther away than Chloe, but closer than Coach and KK. She inherited her ability to give directions from her mama. And so, you know, a couple of times a day, these show up in my Facebook feed, and they are one of my favorite things that I get. I could just read these for days. Um, Beth Moore uh, is somebody that... I'm not her target demographic, <laughs> so I have never really thought much of Beth Moore, paid much attention to Beth Moore, um, and I've been reading her on Twitter, and she's just amazing. Um, she uses the wisdom that she has to really speak to culture in, in a very pointed, but not a very direct, not, 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 a, not a directly confrontational or accusatory way, but she's also gonna weigh in on this is us. Um, but I, I mean, and I love stuff like this. Uh, I'm, I'm not much for affirmational thoughts, but I love stuff like this. Based on my personal experience and observation, load these many years, um, to not present ourselves piously like we've got this thing exemplarily, I knew I should have. Let me, if, let, me, let me see if I can get that word, That I can't because I don't know how to use this thing well. Um, but anyway, but not if, but when stuff falls apart. Maybe we're exposed as being a momentary fool but not a long term fraud. Um, this is a great thread on surviving Twitter. This actually continues. But we don't have to agree with people to like them. I like lots of people I disagree with. Couldn't have even survived marriage otherwise. (laughs) We don't have to agree with people to learn from them. Uh, In fact, I would posit that we don't really learn from anybody we agree with um, because as much as we're wrong, if we're agreeing with them, there's a good chance they're wrong too. Um, We don't have to agree on all things to agree on some things. And this kind of continues. This is great for keeping your mind together on Twitter. Another one, a, this, is, this is a friend of mine in Kansas City who lost his, uh, had to put down his dog of like 14 years uh, a few months ago. And since then, his Instagram feed, once or twice a day, he does a random good dog series. And so he just sees a dog, takes a picture of the dog, tells a little story about the dog or its owners. This dog was outside the uh, Springsteen on Broadway uh, that he went, before he went in and here's a dog that um, his mom carries him everywhere hoping that um, he will stay a puppy forever. <laughs> um, and it's, it's his way of working through his grief, but it's always good to see a random good dog. Um, Tony Reinke, I uh, don't know a lot about him, but I've, been, I've read his book recently, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. Um, and I love this. For our online networks, we become filters, salt and light, as an act of love in what we publish, share, and like. We refuse to be brainless carriers of the most recent viral meme. Instead, we live as Christians offering dialogical resistance, which means that we filter the messages of the world through our individual discernment and then share online through a robust theology of reality, possibility, and meaning in God. And so out of everything that we've talked about today, this is, this is what I would end up going for. And we're running over. So thank you very much.